Today I want to look at the topic, the necessity of contentment. The necessity of contentment. I want to use as our key text to kind of guide us through this conversation. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Initially, you won't, you may not see how this verse relates to contentment, but later you will. Matthew 9, 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, this is a declaration that Christ is giving to his disciples and you don't really notice how contentment is found in here until we, we, we go a little bit further in scripture. But the idea of contentment in our modern American society is misconstrued to be the same as complacency. Uh, complacency implies a lackadaisical kind of uh, mindset of it's gonna be whatever, you know. Um, I don't really care to put that much work into it, you know, that this is only sufficient because I don't want no other problems. I don't want any other work. I don't want to do any more than this. By implication, complacency says that I know that there is more to be done. I just don't want to do it. Okay? Contentment is saying that there is nothing else to be done and that is okay. To be content is to be pleased and happy, satisfied, which could be off-putting for some. It's a state of peaceful happiness, a willingness to accept a particular thing, to be satisfied. In life, to seek contentment is challenging because there are so many areas that are not peaceful. And the call of Christianity is that somehow we could find peace in very unpeaceful situations and circumstances. Amen. Amen. I'm going to show you the necessity of this state of being, of contentment, of peaceful happiness, and some of the reasons why you got to have it. Amen? Amen? So let's look first at, at Matthew. Um, we said chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, let's go up to uh, verse 35. Verse 35 opens and says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing the disease, healing, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So this verse is showing that as Christ moved throughout uh, the different providences of, of Israel and, and Rome, or you know, pretty much just Israel, the villages and communities of Israel and the cities, um, he went to great cities and he went to impoverished cities. Um, wherever the Jewish influence and temples were, that's where Christ went proclaiming the gospel and people would gather and it would be so many people that he just said, 
There's so many people that need to know the truth. Great crowds would form everywhere he went. And he looked at all these crowds and he said, we need more laborers. There are tons of people that want to know the truth about what God is doing. There are droves and droves and thousands upon thousands in every city and every village that are desperate to know about what God is doing. He said, we need more laborers. I was talking to one of my cousins um, on, on this trip, and he was telling me how he's been praying. I'm praying that you get a husband. Oh, I've been praying that you get a husband. And I thought that was sweet. And, I, and he said, I just want you to have the experience, you know, to give you a broader understanding and, and idea of marriage and family. He said, I, I think that could even help ministry. And I said, you're right. Me being married and having kids will definitely give me a, a more in-depth perspective regarding life and family, family life with all of my members. I said, but singleness or marriedness, if it's in Christ, is his decision, not mine. Paul exclaims that, that whether God puts you in a, in, a, in a life of singleness or a life of maritalness, marriedness, then that's his call. And I know you like to think it's yours. I know you like to think since you got your puberty and all that these decisions are yours. But if you are in Christ, they are not yours. You can try to circumvent them. You can try to go around them. You can try to push forward in different directions that you desire, but ultimately that decision is God's. Because he's the only one that should be, as believers, bringing two together as one. And do you really want to be married in a situation where God has not put you two together? Hello? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. And so I, I sat back and I listened on my long flight back home, which is very short, and I slept most of the way. But for a couple of seconds of my awakeness, I thought, hmm, do you have planned for me a life of singleness? Am I desiring something that you may not want me to have? And then there's, is there any reward as just being a pastor without children, without a spouse? It is evident to me that some of this stuff I've done, I could not have done if I was married. That my obligation to my children and my husband would automatically come first. And that my ability to throw myself into the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom uh, by way of church would then be limited or redirected to my singular family. And I would miss out on that opportunity in order to minister in another way as a wife and a mother. So I thought, God, only you know what's best for me. Only you know what fits me. And even if it is not good to me, I want you to have all the glory. In my short period of pastoring and in leadership for maybe 15 to 18 years officially, I could say that you spend more time single than you do married for the most part I know this is odd but you got your whole young childhood single all right then you got your adolescent years single and then you could get married but if somebody passes before you then you're single again hello so ultimately you're, you end up being single possibly on both sides of your life spectrum 
But nevertheless, I, I, I go back to what we talked about in Philippians last week. And Paul, he said, you know, as long as I'm alive, I can be fruitful. And this, this has been resonating in my heart and mind so much because it would appear as if all of man, our, our entire being, desires to be fruitful. Fruitful in some aspect of life, if not every aspect of life. And that is an earnest desire that we have, that we are consistently and constantly looking for ways to be able to have fruit, to bear something of usefulness in our lives. And so for Paul, he stated that if I'm to live, then it is to be fruitful. And, and coming off the heels of my aunt's uh, home going and the funeral, we only have these living years to have fruit. After this, it's not much fruit to be had. We're kind of just waiting in paradise. The ability to do and to engage in what God is doing is for here. Does that make sense? To, to, to be able to engage in his creation fully, both in the spirit and naturally is limited to this life right now, right? When you die, you could pray, you can intercede, you could worship, you can talk to God all you want. But your ability to actually move things down here, very limited if existent at all, right? So you only have this short period of time to be fruitful. To labor and to work not only with God, but in Christ. Just this little window. As me and my cousin spoke about his married life and my singleness, we both came to realize that he is ministering as a husband and a father. And I am ministering as a pastor. Both have to be fruitful. His responsibility is to be fruitful with his children and his wife. My responsibility is to be fruitful with God and this church. Both earnestly yearning to be had to have something of value that we could say we participated in and with God. And it's only a short window to get that done. And then it's just a short window to do it effectively and efficiently. Like at some point, my cousin said, well, let's go camping again. No. We're going to go glamping. I'm not, I'm not doing them tents. She said, we can do it. No, we're older than what you think. <laughs> In your mind, you see yourself young, like, well, you had to build this stage. In my mind, I saw myself 10 years ago laying this stage down. But when I came to lay the stage down, I realized I am 10 years older. My knees, my back. I was hurting for three days after that. In agonizing pain. For three days. I said, mm-mm. At some point... Now, even though you can do things, it takes so much more to do this. This is why God says, I call the young because they are strong and the old because they are wise. So you're going to use your strong years to serve you. And then if you haven't really developed any wisdom, <laughs> we ain't even going to get that. When I met some of you, you were in your 20s. You ain't in your 20s no more. 
When I met some of you, you were in your 40s. You ain't in your 40s. 50s. 60s, 70s. You're pushing on out of there too. Ultimately, life is short. And you just have a small window to be fruitful. To participate in manifesting God's will here on earth. How many years have you spent manifesting your will? See, what contentment does is it helps you to bear when it is not your will being done. Contentment is needed because there are aspects of your life that it is not what you desire, but it is good. You cannot understand it's good, and, and being in that state of peaceful happiness escapes you because you're, you're not content. You don't have any contentment. So in seasons of your life where things are not going great, they're not going well when you're sick, when you're broke, when you're frustrated, when you're single, or when you're married, when you have kids or no kids, there's this, this melancholy aspect that just hangs over your head, a slight depression and an oppression. Hello, somebody, because you don't feel that you are acquiring any purpose in your life because you've defined purpose by your standards. You define your purpose by your desires and not by the desires of the Father. You have not allowed him to speak his desires and to change your desires to his. That's a real thing. So you're going to lack contentment. You're going to lack the ability to be in a state of peaceful happiness. You're going to have contention. You're going to have strife with God and with man. You're going to have aughts within yourself, right? Depression, oppression, right? All of these things are going to be connected to you for long seasons because you are discontented. So when Christ says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, what has, what, what has caused the laborers to be few? And I looked at this and I said, Jesus is preaching to disciples. And what we find that comes up later is that he then sends these disciples out, right? Right? He sends them out, and, and it's unique because when he sends them out, I'm thinking, okay, so they're going to preach the gospel. And between them and Paul and the first church fathers, their job and mission, like Paul said, was to go not to where people have been preached Christ, but to go to where people have not been preached Christ. And Paul says, I don't want to lay on somebody else's foundation. I want to go and establish new foundation. Now, this is peculiar because as an American church, there's not a place in America where Christ has not been preached. And barely the world at this point with the Internet. Right? There's just a couple of pockets of remote places where maybe people haven't heard of Christ or Jesus. Very small. Very tiny. Right? And the last man that was completely secluded just died. So, you know, that was... <laughs> He did. All right. All right. So the very small places. For the most part, Christ has been preached. That means a foundation has been laid. Right. That we either have to go and teach more, build upon it, add upon it, get you to choose or not choose or whatever the case may be. So when now when we're playing for laborers of God's harvest, my question to the father is, what are we laboring to do? Now, I know I'm laboring. 
I feel that I'm definitely working. But who are the laborers that we're calling for? People that will go out to remote locations and preach the gospel? Because now what we need laborers for in the harvest is different. It's unique. It's an aspect of maintaining truth. And as we look in our modern society, droves have left the kingdom of God and the church, right, by the thousands, right? Because some aspect of truth was not fully developed in their lives. So laboring for us is more about tending to the very ready harvest than it is establishing a new harvest. And we look at Christ. Let's, let's look back at Matthew chapter 9. So Jesus went through all the synagogues. He was um, just overwhelmed and compelled by the amount of, of gatherings of people that he saw. And he told his disciples, go pray. Pray that God will pray to the Lord of harvest that he will send out laborers into his vineyard. Now this is reminiscent because in Matthew chapter 20, he gives, Christ gives an example of what the vineyard looks like as it relates to laborers. In Matthew chapter 20, and you can go there if you'd like, you're very familiar with this particular parable, but I want to hide out, uh, just highlight one of the ideas that you need to know about commitment, contentment, excuse me. <coughs> contentment is needed in blessings. That's the first thing. We can definitely see how contentment is needed in, in non-blessings. <laughs> but contentment is first needed in blessings amongst believers. The good stuff. The good parts, right? And Matthew 20 shows us how. In Matthew 20, Christ gives a parable about the kingdom of God is of heaven. Excuse me, for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, that's equivalent to about 10 ox or um, donkeys, he sent them out into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and again about the ninth hour, he did the same. He also went out on the eleventh hour. If you skip on down to verse uh, six, this is at the twelfth hour, is the last hour. So he went right before, right, the, the, the new day, the eleventh hour. And more people were standing idle. And he says, hey. Why aren't you working? Why are you standing here idle all day long? He said, because no one's hired us. He says, okay, well, you too go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said, this is verse 7, to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those, who, those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this worker, uh, to, the last, to this last worker, as I give to you. Verse 15 says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Verse 16, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. 
This parable is often, it strikes a chord in every American. As a consumption nation, right, it just does not seem fair to us. Now, a couple of things we need to recognize about this is that the first set of laborers at the top of the day agreed to work the entire day for Denarius. One. They thought that that was fair, right? Worthwhile. If you agree to do it, that means it's worth it to you. And they agreed. That's good. I'll do all the work for that Denarius. Fair enough. When the landowner saw that there was more harvest to be done. Now, what, what you don't recognize is if the first batch was sufficient to get in all the harvest in one day, then he wouldn't be out looking at more laborers. So apparently there is more harvesting to be done than the first group could do in a day. Yeah. Right? So he sees people are idle and he says, okay, I'll pay you. How much? Whatever's right. And the next group after this, the, the third, the sixth, the ninth, and the eleventh, never really agreed upon a particular amount. He said, whatever is right. So by faith, they had to accept that they will do this labor and that this master will give them what is right. Right? That's a big deal. But if you look at a laborer's perspective, I'm just standing here. I am doing nothing. I am producing nothing. I am making nothing. It's probably best for me to take this job and hope that I get something rather than be here all day with nothing. Right? So some of them go. And there's still some more people that are still like, I don't know. Remember, because it's still more people standing around idle. So the first group, the second group comes like, I'll go. They're like, fine. Third group is like, I'm going to wait. See, I might be able to see exactly how much I'm going to get. So these, everybody didn't go in one swoop. You have to, do you understand this? Some people are still deciding if this is a good deal or not. If this is really the, the best way to go. You know how you do, Jesus. I'm still deciding if I really want to turn my life over completely. I'm still deciding if I really want to surrender this aspect. I'm still deciding if this is really what God wants me to do. I'm still just, I'm contemplating it. And the tragedy of it all is that most of them only came because they're still standing out there, unproductive. All right, the first group left, all right. Here comes the landlord. Anybody else want to work? <laughs> you know how, how we pick up our Latin brothers and sisters. Anybody need a job today? <clears throat> Anybody want to work? Third group said, I'll go. Whatever you think is right, because I'm just standing here, and ain't nobody that's picking me up. This keeps going until there's the 11th hour of the work day. There's still people standing idle, having used the entire work day waiting for something better. And finally, they say, all right, whatever. Whatever you think says right is fine. It's better than nothing. And they get on in, and they do that hour's worth of work. <laughs> when the landowner says, okay, let's pay him, everybody lines up from the last person that was hired then to the first. So you can imagine the people that were first are in the back of the line, and they're seeing and watching 
The people that came in at the 11th hour, the ninth hour, the sixth hour, and the third hour get paid one denarius, right? They're like, oh, this is about to be great. Because if they're getting one denarius, boop, boop, we about to get a whole bunch more. And as they're waiting in line, like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's about to be good. This is going to be real nice. Oh, it's going to be, oh, yep, mm-hmm, yep, 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 yep. Eleventh uh, hour, people come back. How much you get? One denarius. Mm. Ninth hour, people come back. How much you get? One denarius. Mm. Sixth hour, how much you get? One denarius. What? <laughs> Third hour, how much you get? One denarius. What? I just like to put you in your attention the amount of time of events that are transforming the soul before the actual due date. Because sometimes you don't recognize how your heart and mind is being transformed by current situations. That the time of this being carried out has already started to put things in your mind and heart that you are already building up. I'm not going to like this. I wish he would tell me about to get it in ours. You're going to give me more than that. You know what I'm saying? Because I had, and, and the whole argument, I was, it was hot that day. I was, I was at the hot of the day. It was 97 degrees out there when we was working. I know he ain't going to try to give me no one denarius. You know, my, you know, you're building this up. The whole time you waiting in line, you already got strife. Oh no, see, 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 see what I'm saying? See, you know, you know, you you right, don't, don't we don't we deserve more than one to know? We do, we're gonna tell him. We all gonna tell him when we get up there. There is no contentment here at all. There is strife, there is jealousy, right? And it builds in you. As you begin to see the window of what you want close. Well, I, I'm, I'm almost 45 years old, and I ain't married. I'm almost in my 30s, and I ain't married. I'm always in my dum 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 and I ain't even got this. And I'm always this old, and I don't even have that. So as the window closes, there's more contention and strife amongst you. Because you're recognizing 11th hour, what? 9th hour, 6th hour. Now, by the time we get to 3rd hour, he's definitely going to give us Third hour, I got just one, two. <sighs> this is real life. Yeah. So by the time they get to the landowner and he gives them one denarius, they are irate. Yeah. One denarius. We did way more work than them. And this is where contentment is needed for blessings. It was a blessing to be hired. You forgot when you was just on the curb. Hello, somebody. And nobody wanted to use you for nothing. Hello, somebody. You forgot when you were just prostituting on the corner. Y'all don't want to help me. And you was invited into nobody's home. Oh, you know, you forgot when you absolutely had nothing. Wondering, oh, if I could just get something. If I could just get a break. If I could just get a little bit. If I could just, I thought. You know, came over here in Kingdom was like, oh, no, he's giving out blessings. I know I'm about to get something amazing. Because I go to church all the days of the week. Because I always get my tithe. I always get my offer. So I know I'm about to get me something great and amazing. I'm going to give the same thing I gave to them. What? This don't even seem fair. Contentment is needed in blessings. Because if you don't have it, 
you will be selfish and opportunistic. Contentment is needed in blessings to prevent selfishness and to prevent an opportunistic soul. Contentment is needed in blessings to prevent selfish and opportunistic souls. If you really want to break down what happened to the first hour laborers, is that they saw an opportunity offered that could change their circumstances without reverence to a general plan or moral principle. It's opportunistic. This, this is the problem that we have as Americans. That, uh, that good American dream is not necessarily about morality, but it's about being able to get what you can get regardless of the plan or the morality involved. To get what you can get, regardless of the plan. Apparently, there's a plan. You don't care nothing about that plan. God had a plan for your life. I don't care nothing about that plan. What I do see here right now is I can get this. I do see right now I can, I can, I can, I can, I can handle this much. I can do this much. I can level up in this way. Don't try to hide your faces from me now. And you don't even care about the plan, right? And then it goes on to further that the opportunistic soul doesn't even care about the morality of the situation. You had to finesse that, lie a little bit, hide that, duck that. Don't want nobody to know this. Don't want nobody to know. What's all of this? What is all of this? If it's so good, then why it got to be hidden? If it's so upstanding, then why we got to hide it? Because you know someone's going to look, look at it and say, that's not moral. And believers can look at it and say, that ain't even godly. Godly. What? Nah, nope, not godly. Don't be judging me. Yes, we judge all fruit. <laughs> we got to judge the fruit. Do you eat bad stuff? Neither do we. Having contentment when you are blessed is a necessity so that you don't become opportunistic and selfish. Because what the, the, the first hour believers should have said and thought at the, about the last hour, the 11th hour, is, oh, that's so good. They get the same amount as us. <laughs> that, don't even, that don't even register to you. But bear in mind, bear in mind, so this is the problem, bear in mind you agreed that a Daenerys was worth it to you. At the beginning, you agreed that it was worth it. You didn't feel like you was getting cheated. You didn't feel like you was getting slighted. You came to agreement that that is worth my hire and my labor, and I am grateful for it. That's what you agreed to. Now, when other people get the same thing, see, see this, they get the same thing as you, but they didn't have to do the same amount of work. The only thing that changes your idea of it is your comparison. Because you thought that there was an opportunity for you to gain more rather than accept what you had. The master says, are you going to begrudge my generosity? 
if it's my money and you agreed that that's all you wanted and that's all I wanted to pay, and if I wanted to be generous to somebody else, you're actually mad that I decided to be generous. Y'all hear me, help me. You're actually upset that I decided to be merciful. Oh, y'all don't want to help me today. You're actually upset that I decided to extend mercy to someone that you felt like did not deserve or earn the mercy. Now I can see if I paid them a dinar, says the landowner, I'm thinking, and I took from you. You still got yours. But you're so discontented. Y'all don't want to help me. You can't find a state of, of pleasure or happiness at the idea that you could miss an opportunity to give you more. Now, I know you're looking at it, but this just seems right when it comes to money. But somehow you can, you can fully accept it when it came to the Jews and the Christians. This example that Jesus is giving is an example about the kingdom of God as it relates to the Jewish people and the Gentiles. You fully accept the idea as a Gentile that you got the same privileges and blessings that the Jews got for the entire generations that they had to fall short, try and strive, try to have fruit, get, to, get, get, get displaced, get kicked out, die all over the place. I mean, get stranded out in wildernesses. You fully accept the same blessings and tout how grateful you are that you have the same blessings when nobody in your lineage ever actually really earned that place with God. Yeah, take a deep breath. <laughs> Fix your face. Fix your face. Because you're telling on yourself. You love being the recipient of graciousness. But your opportunistic soul won't let you be happy that somebody else gets the same blessing. And they don't even take no food from your table. It don't even take no love of God from you. It don't even take no mercy from you. You still get all the same blessings and you are miserable at the thought that you've missed an opportunity to be even better. To have more. Because you saw that if you could do that, then, then I've earned. You haven't earned anything. You forgot that slavery is a real thing. You could very well not be paid to do any of this. And in true form, if you are a hired hand who gets no work, eventually slavery is where you're going to go. That might be a good place for you. Because maybe you need to recognize, hello, that getting paid anything for any service is still better than getting paid nothing. This is a tough pill for Americans to swallow. And every time I preach this in this house, the same people have the same hard time about it, which leads me to believe that there's been no growth and no change. There's been no change. You still cannot agree and be glad that somebody else is getting a blessing like yours. But I had to work at the heat of the day for that. Yeah, and thanks be to God, they didn't. And thanks be to God, they didn't have to suffer what you suffered. And thanks be to God, they didn't have to go through what you went through. And thanks be to God, they didn't have to take the same route as you. Come on, y'all don't want to Why don't you have that type of heart? You ain't mad at me, you mad at the word. It is a mirror for your soul. 
Paul says, test, test yourself. He said, test yourself to see if you even believe in Jesus. If Jesus is even in you. That's what Paul says. We're going to look at that today. Don't worry, I'm going to show it to you. Did he really? Yes, he did. The necessity of contentment, one, is found in blessings. Because if not, you can have an opportunistic and a selfish soul. A sense of entitlement is running rampant in these generations. As all we see is possibilities, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Everybody wants to own their own business. But most of them don't even have the work ethic. I don't want to clock in. Don't worry. You will never clock out as an entrepreneur. You clock in forever. You got to come to the church and say, can y'all please, when somebody die, not call me to work? Just, 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 just for this just little period of time, we just had a death in the family, could you please not call me in right now? Since I'm on the clock every day of the week, all the days of the week, sun up to sundown, maybe at 2 in the morning this may not be the best time to call me in to work. But nevertheless, I'm your servant. I'll come. I'll show up. But know this. The way I serve is the way you're supposed to serve. Amen? Amen. All right. So the first lesson we learn is uh, contentment is needed so you won't become opportunistic. Opportunistic or opportunistic person is a person that exploits change chances offered by immediate circumstances without reverence to a general plan or a moral principle. Mm-hmm. A person that exploits chances by immediate circumstances without reference to a general plan or a moral principle. Here's an opportunity right now for me to gain something. And I dare not reference the scriptures or what God is doing with his plan. All I see is opportunity. And in America, to seize an opportunity for gain is a high standard. To miss the opportunity, you are somehow shamed for it. That's what our society says. And it has been so ingrained in you that when the word of God challenges it, you can't seem to let it go. Why would I go the hard way when the easy way is right here? Because you have to reference a plan and you have to reference morality. Why would I go the hard way when this, I can just do this? This is an open opportunity for me. This Christian concept of contentment versus opportunisticism, opportunism, whatever, <laughs> is a direct conflict to Americans. Do you remember I said our, our society is so bamboozled and corrupt that our hero stories involve people that were at the bottom that then came to the top versus people that were at the bottom and served well at the bottom, did well at the bottom, found happiness at the bottom, found contentment at the bottom. Our, our, our perversion of society is so gross 
that being at the bottom and doing well at the bottom, serving well at the bottom, loving well at the bottom, being faithful at the bottom is not nearly as heroic as rising up to the top. Every great story that we have in America has that. The ones we love. It's the same with this concept. I can't miss an opportunity. Most of you fall into sin because you're afraid you might miss an opportunity to have something better or different than what you currently have. You, you get off the road with God. You get off the path with Christ. You start moving over here. And you don't really notice it too tough until you're spiraling downward. And you go, what happened? You already chose an opportunity over the will of God. The only reason these first-time people was upset is because they initially received the blessing. If they weren't blessed initially, they wouldn't see more opportunity to be blessed. And all they see is more, I could have had five dinars by this time. Rather than being excited that, man, we took the hardest time, man. We was out here in that sun. Hello? You ain't have to do none of that. You just come on in and get the same amount. Rather than being excited, I'm so glad you didn't have to deal with what we had to deal with. I'm so glad you didn't have to suffer the way we had to suffer. I'm so glad that you didn't have to go through how we had to go through. Now, that's the crust of it. That that is missing in us. For our lust and greed of opportunity. A chance to get something different. A chance to get something better. A chance to get something greater. And the only reason we even can think that far is because we were already blessed. It is your current blessings that even make you think that more should be owed to you. They didn't make the arrangement to take the dinars for the labor. They wouldn't have an opportunity to see other people getting paid nothing. You would still be on that corner with nothing. Right? But because you're not on that corner and you're in, now this blessedness that you have opens up for why you should have all the blessings. More blessings than such and such. Like, I ain't even messed up. I should definitely get a husband. I ain't even do like that. I should definitely get a wife. I ain't never watched porn. I ain't never masturbated. I should definitely, this should definitely work for me. Hello? Like, how dare the person that had to struggle with porn and let God deliver them have a greater anointing than me? How dare the person, y'all don't want to help me. How dare the person that had to struggle with homosexuality, hello, somebody, have a greater anointing than me? Versus, I'm so grateful that they have an anointing because we need that in the kingdom of God. I'm so grateful that they had to endure what they had to endure so that because we, we need other people to come into the fold. You can't even be happy for the work that we all get to do worrying about yourself. Because if you were a good laborer, you would see the amount that was left to harvest 
and be saddened that you could not bring it in. And you would say, please, Lord of the harvest, bring us more laborers. Come on, somebody. Bring us more laborers. We want to get this done before the day is up. Bring us more laborers. You agreed to hire us for a day. We want to do good in this day. Where's that type of heart and mindset? If you are truly a good worker, then besides the money that you agreed to do it for, you want to see a job well done. That's why Jesus told the disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send what? More laborers. Because if that's really your heart, we want to get all of this harvest. Why? Because every day we wait, the harvest itself gets bad. Every generation we wait, more lawlessness precedes more lawlessness. Every generation we wait, more opportunities for us to gather in this harvest are missed. More bruising, more battering happens to the harvest. It doesn't become as good as it could be. If you give us more laborers, then we could all yield a great harvest together as a team. As a team. I'm so glad you hired more laborers because we want to get this done. I'm so glad you brought more workers because we didn't want to have to quit without this whole harvest being done. And that's how you would feel if you recognize you had a good master. If you recognize you had a good master, you go, you know what? I'm so glad because my heart wants to bless you and clear out all of this harvest so you don't have to worry about it before the end of the day. But because you take a selfish seat, And in this parable, all you see is self. You can't fathom how you could be excited for somebody else getting the same pay. Because your narrative starts with you. When it's supposed to start with the master. It's supposed to start with him. Not you. And because everything you filter starts with you, you can't be a good laborer. When we say to live as Christ, we're saying everything starts with him. To live for Christ, everything starts with you. Everything is filtered through your will, through what you desire, through what you want. It doesn't start with me. Hello? I'm going to keep, don't worry, we gonna, I'm going to tap on this point so much. You might as well just be prepared. Take a deep breath. When I tell you to do that, I want to tell you, get your soul right before you get in trouble. One thing Paul says in the Second Corinthians that we're going to look at is in the latter chapters of Paul, in Second Corinthians, he begins to say, now I'm writing this letter because when I come to you, I don't want to come to you harsh. So I'm writing you this letter so that when I do visit you, I can visit you to build you up, not tear you down. So when I say take a breath, I'm telling you, when I go to the next point, I would much prefer to build you up rather than beat down your pride. Uh-huh. You want to take that breath again, don't you? Go ahead. Take that deep breath. Get your soul right. Take your correction because it yields good fruit. Focus on how you're grateful that God could show you this. 
and that apparently he wants to work on this in you. Focus on the truth that I need this. Hello, somebody. Focus on the truth that I need the Spirit of God to minister this to me because ultimately I do want to be a good laborer with the rest of the team of the laborers, and I do want to bring in this good harvest with God. I do. That is really what I want. I done got, I done got off. All right. <clears throat> if you continue down to chapter 12 of Matthew, I'm skipping chapter 10 of Matthew. We're at chapter 9. Let's go on to chapter 10. It says, he says, so uh, pray to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse 1 of chapter 10 says, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So he brings in the 12. And then skip over to verse 16. He gives them instructions on what to do, calls the 12 disciples by name, tells them what to do. And he says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The first thing I want you to recognize here is that when he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers, who does the Lord of the harvest send? Who? The ones that did what? Prayed. I'm telling you to pray for laborers. Then he sends you. See, you can't be sent out. Come on, help me preach now. You can't be sent out by God until you have received the heart of God. Y'all don't want to help me. So when you start praying that God sends more laborers, regardless of my pay, send more laborers, regardless of my status, send more laborers, regardless of me. When you start praying that, then you have the heart of God, and now he can send you out. Prayer reveals, and what you request in prayer reveals your heart. It reveals your priorities. It reveals your priorities. Just check your list. No, don't try to make it up. Check your prayer time. Categorize your prayers. What's heavy and what's light? You can do that for yourself. What really do you echo before the Father? That reveals a lot. So when you can pray that he sends out laborers for the harvest, you're agreeing we want to bring this harvest in before it goes bad. We want to bring everything in before there's no more bringing in, before harvest season is done. When you do that, then ultimately he sends you. Now what I like about this, <clears throat> that we're going to look at. He says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, back up. Back in chapter 9, Christ said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw the multitudes in every city and every village he went into, and his heart was overwhelmed because these are people that are being harassed by the devil. Then he sends his disciples, who also agree that we need, we need more laborers, he says, now you go out, and you do the same thing I'm doing. I'm going to give you power 
to cast out demons, give you power. Come on, somebody, to heal the sick. Give you power so that you can do the same. We all can be harvesters together. Do you see the amount of generosity of God that he's saying, it ain't got to be about me. What it's really about is getting this harvest in. So I'm going to give you the ability to do the same thing that I can do, even though I'm God. And you can't even let somebody get paid the same amount as you, and you ain't even God. You're not even God. And he's willing to give everything he has for you to use for the sake of the harvest, for the sake of others. And you can't even, don't even want people to have the same thing you have, and you ain't even God. No, that's not a heart ready to be sent. That's a heart still needing some work. Sit on down, sit on down. My year about to be up? Maybe not. Sit on down, sit on down. Father, Pastor, can I, can I now step up and do this? No, sit, 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 sit. The sheep that he saw, these, these crowds that he saw, were like sheep, he said, without a shepherd. When you see sheep that don't have a shepherd and they're being harassed, they're being harassed mostly by people that, and things that could devour them, right? Things that could get them. And then we see later, like, like wolves. They got all these sheep, they're coming, and they, they have, no one's protecting them. No one's leading them. No one's guiding them. In essence, be, now watch this. As the multitude is coming, you should be like, well, well, you here now? They fine. They made it to you. No, you don't understand. They made it to me because of the miracles. They made it to me because of the signs. But this is like a flock of sheep without no shepherd. Anytime they think there's a miracle somewhere, anytime they think there's a blessing somewhere, anytime they think there's a way to level up, that's where they're going to go. Anytime they think that they can gain something, be better at something, have a better life, a better future, that's where they're going to go because they're like sheep without shepherd. Yes, I'm glad they came, but look at why they came. Because let Satan start offering the same types of blessings. Let Satan offer the same type of satisfaction. Laced with his poison, you'll still eat it. Because you're that hungry. That any shepherd could lead you. Father says, I am the Lord, you, you will know my voice, and my sheep will hear my voice, and stranger's voice, they will not hearken unto. If you're mine, then you know my voice, you heed my voice. You can't be led astray by another voice. But so often the American church is being led away by multiple voices that are not teaching contentment, but rather how to gain. Churches that are teaching contentment and suffering are empty. And churches that are seeking, that are teaching gain and more blessings in your life and more prosperity in your life, those are the ones that are full. With nothing but wolves circling around them. So Jesus tells his disciples, he says, behold, now I'm sending you a sheep. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Back up. The initial problem was that you see these sheep... <coughs> Without a shepherd. Yeah. Pray to the Lord of harvest, send more laborers. Got it. 
So you're sending us to, to like, lead them, shepherd them. Yes and no. I'm sending you like sheep. The same sheep that are harassed, yes. Go out there and be harassed. That's, he didn't say, I'm sending you as a light. Not in this verse. I'm sending you as a defender. Not in this verse. I'm sending you as with a sword. Not in this verse. As a matter of fact, I give you instructions. I want you to look as much like them as possible. Be as dependent on people and the mercy of God as possible. Don't take no extra food. Don't take no extra nothing. Don't, have no, don't try to prepare for yourself. You just go on with whatever happens to you. Be vulnerable. Make yourself vulnerable. Subject to attack. And that's how I want to send you out. You want to send me as a sheep? Can't you like make me like a shepherd dog or something? <laughs> something a little bit more aggressive? I think I could really help them if I became that instead. He said, no, I'm going to send you as a sheep. <laughs> hey, how y'all doing? <laughs> the Lord God Almighty sent me here. <laughs> <laughs> as defenseless as the rest of them. Yeah. You know this is true because the next verses after this is nothing but persecution. I'm going to send you out there and the wolves is going to get you. They're going to chomp at your ankles. They're going to chase you. They're going to come for you. The governor's going to throw you in prison. Don't worry about what you want to say. I want you to be as vulnerable and as helpless as possible. I'm going to send you out. You're going to be sitting on top of the world. You're going to be kings and princesses. Living on top of the world. Oh, it's, you, you're about to be above and never beneath. The head and not the tail. You're going to be first, never last. Taking the same verse out of context. Right? You're like, yeah, I'd be a Christian for that. And now, not only is it in America, now it's in countries on the continent of Africa. It's in, it's in, it's in, the, in the Latin communities. Now the message of the gospel is God wants to level you up. And if you're really a Christian, then you look successful. And if you're really a Christian, then you have this and that, and everything will be wonderful, and everything will be a blessing, and that's why you need to come to Christ. That is not what he was saying. He's saying, I want you to choose to be lower. I want you to choose to miss an opportunity. I know you got extra sandals. Don't take them. I know you can have some little money stashed away. Give it. Don't even take it. Miss all opportunities to better your circumstance. Miss all the opportunities. This don't even fathom. We can't even, we can't even fathom. I know you're looking at me perplexed. Baby, that's what it says. But everything in you is, uh -uh, that's not what you just want for me. Mm. I'm going to show it to you. Go to 2 Corinthians. Here's, here's an apostle, <coughs> Paul, 
writing to a newly formed church, Corinth. In 2 Corinthians, we find that Paul had intended to visit the church at Corinth two times. Verse, on his way to Macedonia and, and on, his, on his way back. But on his way, he stopped by the church at Corinth. There's all kind of foolishness going on. This once glorious church was involved in all kinds of stuff. Uh, parents sleeping with their children, false doctrines, false beliefs and mechanisms. Other Jews came in and tried to teach in other gospels. And he had planned to be with them, but it was so messy that he shortened his trip and he left. And he was supposed to go back. He said, I'm not even going to go back. I'm going to send somebody else. So this letter, 2 Corinthians, is a letter since I sent, you know, I sent uh, Titus with you over there. I'm not coming. I will be back, but y'all need to get some stuff in order. This letter is filled with exclamation points where Paul is yelling. He gets sarcastic. He gets indignant. Oh, no, Paul. With the members of the church. Let's look at it. In chapter 12, verse 7, let's pick up there. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to what? And again, that word in, in English and version, to harass, to harass me, to keep me from com- becoming conceited. Paul is saying, I came down like a sheep. See, when he was a Jew and a Pharisee of Jews, he was prideful, conceited in his truth. He slaughtered many of Christians. This is Paul, right? And now that he's with Christ, he doesn't get sent out as a great defender of the Christian faith. No, he gets sent out as a sheep being harassed. The same way Christ was sending out his 12. Harassed. And Paul says, there's this thorn in my flesh that I asked God to set to get rid of three times. Now, apparently he stopped after three. Now, some of y'all need to know that. When do I stop asking God? Maybe after three. Perhaps. But the, the, the widow, she persisted. Yeah, but that was for the faith. You should persist for faith. Not for stuff. You, you should persist to know the truth. Please show me you. Show me who you are. Show me you, God. Be persistent. Knock. Right? But not for stuff. And apparently, in this case, not for healing. Three times. I mean, and apparently, I don't know how many times you're going to ask, but there is a limit to when this becomes more about your opportunity than it does about God. And so Paul has a revelation and an understanding. He says, I now recognize <coughs> that God let me have this thorn in my flesh. To stop me from being conceited, 
prideful. Because the greatness of the revelations that I have in God, a thorn in my flesh, kept me humble, kept me vulnerable, kept me in need, and prevented me from becoming conceited. Now I stop asking because I now I know why. I know what it's for. And I'm grateful. There is contentment in that. Contentment is needed, number two, in pain. But once contentment was needed in blessings, now contentment is needed in pain. And it's needed to allow the power of God to be perfected. Let's keep reading. The three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Now remember, we, we, we tried to redefine grace not by American standards of consumption, unmerited favor, you, you know, but really for what it is, the ability to do a hard task well. When a king is gracious to someone, what they're saying is, I need you to go over here and I'm going to send you what you need to do that project. And they say, thank you, your grace. Right? I need you to go do this and take care of that. Uh, Master, we run into a lot of problems. It's okay. I'll send you this. Thank you, your grace. The master is considered gracious because he can extend the power needed to make very difficult tasks a little bit easier. But the task still has to be done. The grace is not to remove the task. Why? Because it was the will of the king that the task was established. The grace is there to allow you to do the difficulty of the task, to aid you in its difficulty. Now, that is the proper understanding of grace in kingdoms, which is how it's being used. Not, I get to get stuff that I didn't even deserve. You get to get grace in order to fulfill hard tasks with God. That's what grace is for. And so Paul prayed, please remove this. And he, God says, no, my grace is sufficient. What I've sent you, what I've given you, is sufficient for you to carry out that task. Why? Why? For my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm not going to remove the task. Let's say the king gave you an assignment. I want you to go and build a bridge over troubled waters. You come back, king, we're trying to bridge, build this bridge over troubled waters, but we're just running into all kinds of problems. What do you need? Well, we could really use this. Well, we could really use that. In essence, I don't even think it's possible. I think we need to abort the whole plan. Just, just abort this plan. Take this thorn in my flesh and remove it. It's a terrible idea. No, I want you to do what you're doing with that difficulty. You want me to build a bridge under these kind of circumstances? 
Yes. No one builds a bridge with this kind of, this kind of environment. But because no one builds a bridge in this environment, then now when I show up, people will have to see and attest to my power. Oh, kings, oh, king, Lord God Almighty built that bridge, and we ain't never seen a bridge built like that under those type of conditions. That's, that's in context for that time, right? Not what our consumption has made it. Says, yeah, when you go and you are weak in comparison to the environment and situations around you, then when I send what I send and this stuff is done and it's going to be done, everybody will say, that's a mighty king. That's a powerful king. That's a great king. Oh, he's mighty. Oh, he's wonderful. I got you to do what nobody else could do in the midst of kind of situation nobody else could handle. Yeah. Yeah. He says, so my power is made perfect in weakness. You see my real strength in situations that no man alone could ever do. That's when you see my real strength. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul then says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Says. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness. Content with insults. Content with hardships, content with persecutions, and content with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I'm going to boast about how big that mountain was how tumultuous the storm was, how frightening and how fearful, how bad the calamity, how hard the persecution, how terrible it was, that I was no match for it, that it could not be done, that God's greatness might be seen. Sign me up. Who don't want to go where? Nobody want to go over to the valley of shadow of death. I'll go to the valley of shadow of death. Send me. Nobody wants to go to the ends of the earth. I'll go to the ends of the earth. Send me. Send me to the hard places where no one else can go, that your strength might be seen. Send me to the place of grief where nobody wants to build, that your strength might be seen. Send me to the place of sexual immorality where nobody wants to go, that your power might be seen. If you send me, I'll go. If you send me, I'll build in the midst of hardships, calamities, insults, persecutions, and weaknesses. I'll build. It's for when I am weak, then I am strong. Going back to Matthew chapter 9, then it makes sense. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Why? 
Because when I am weak, then I am made strong. I'm going to send you as a sheep like my son, like a sheep being fed for slaughter. I'm going to send you as one encircled by wolves. But I'll be with you. And if enough of us inculcate this wayward sheep flock, hello? Then all of a sudden, more sheep start following the direction. Y'all don't want to help me here. See, the problem with sheep and flock is that when they gather together, if one of them starts getting skittish, then another one gets skittish, another one gets skittish, another then they all start scattering. Now you can use a rod to beat them back in submission. Or you could use a very dedicated sheep that knows a shepherd voice. Can you imagine in the midst of a flock that is scattering at the threat of wolves, that there was just spread throughout this flock sheep that were not scattering. Y'all don't want to help me here today. Sheep that were not skittish. Come on, y'all don't want to help me. That in the midst of everybody going, oh, what was that? Oh, the Satan. Oh, the death. Oh, the loss of my job. Oh, the loss of this. Oh, I might not have this. In the midst of all the sheep scattering, there were sheep spread all throughout the flock that's to remain faithful and current and mark. I mean, in the midst of the same wolves. How great would the call of that shepherd be? How powerful would the call of that shepherd be that in the midst of all of the skittishness that comes with your nature, that his call was so clear, so clarion, that there are sheep that heeded his call in the midst of every single calamity, in the midst of every single weakness, in the midst of every single persecution, in the midst of every single hardship. Scattered all throughout the flock were those that remained steadfast. Just as humble and meek, but not missing that call. Maintaining the way. Staying in the path. And when everybody else is scattering, they might be next to somebody who ain't scattering. And they might have peace. They might have peace. Come on, y'all don't want to help me. That when everybody else is scattering to the left and the right, somebody's beside you. That when they get ready to scatter, they see you remaining diligent. They see you remaining faithful. They see you not being afraid of Satan, not succumbing to his tactics. They see you staying the course. They see you still holding on. Contentment is needed in ministry for the cause of Christ amongst the wolves.